0: Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website, nbbctx.org. There you can find more information about who we are, additional resources and links to our social media network, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, new beginnings. How are we this morning? Oh, uh, you got to do better than that. How are we this morning? Hey, after a, after a worship set like that, I don't know how you could still be so quiet. But I don't know if you heard the words of that last song, but it said, set a fire deep down in my soul, right? That I can't contain that I can't control and that is our prayer this morning is that God would do something in our hearts and in our lives that we can't contain, that we can't control, that we would be used by him to reach the one. That's the series that you guys have been in over the last several weeks and my name is Daniel Norris, if you didn't catch that earlier, but my name is Daniel Norris, I'm from West Texas, Odessa to be more specific, where it is hot it is hot. It is dry. It is flat. It is dusty, and there's not much water there. And so my wife Lauren and I are so thrilled and so excited to be here. She's right over here, and we have been married now for almost 13 years, coming up next month. And so we have two boys, Brock. Yeah, that's what we're celebrating in it. I know some of you are like rookie, right? You're just getting started, but we've we've been married for almost 13 years, and we have a boy named Brock, and he is 10. And then our youngest son, Colton, a.k.a. Coco, he calls himself Coco, and you'll see why. But uh, he's a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, but we love him, and he keeps us on our toes. But uh, when I was thinking about this this morning, I think about my wife, Lauren, and I think about my two boys. Uh, There's a verse that says that God will do immeasurably more in your life than you even can begin to imagine, that you even know to ask for. And I can remember being a young 23-year-old, being single, and praying for two years, going, God, God. I want your best. I want what you have for me, not what I want on my own. And I I didn't know that he had a Floridian across the country that he had hand-selected for me. But Lauren and my boys are the immeasurably more. They're more than I could have ever imagined. They're more than I even knew to ask for. And so every day I kind of pinch myself and go, God, is this real? Do I really get this family? Do I really get this life? And so... I'm living the dream, honestly, because they are immeasurably more. And so we are thrilled, we are excited to be here at New Beginnings. It has been a a fast and furious journey over the last uh, probably a couple of months, really about seven weeks, because I think the first week that Pastor Todd and I had a conversation, I was on my way to Florida for vacation, and I I I received a phone call from Pastor Todd. And it was the first week y'all were going to be kicking off this series called The uh, One, Who's Your One?, and uh, so as he told me about that I said man that sounds incredible and so I was able to kind of watch and follow you guys online and listen to the messages and I can't tell you how excited I am to be here today as we wrap up this series because uh, it is just exciting hearing all the God stories, the ways that God has moved the ways that God has worked to use you to reach the one in your workplaces, in your schools, in your families, in your sphere of influence, in your community, the way that God is using each and every one of you is amazing I mean look at the stage at all those names that is because of you guys because God has pressed upon your hearts one person one person that you might be able to live out the gospel in front of that you might be willing to do whatever it takes to reach your one and I've heard some amazing stories and here's what I would say to you today is that I believe we're just getting started I believe we've only skimmed the surface I believe we're we're just getting started of doing the things that God has called us to do and seeing uh, this area of Longview and beyond transformed by the power of the Gospel because each and every one of you are taking ownership and you're willing to do whatever it takes to reach the One. So let me ask you something as we get ready to get started here. What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? What are some thoughts that come to your mind? Because honestly, like I could ask someone over here, and and what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? And, And this person over here might say, you know what? When I hear the word Christian, I think that of a person whose life has been transformed by Christ. And I would agree with that. I think that's a great thing to think about when you think about Christian. But honestly, if I go over here and ask someone, because it really depends on who you ask, I could ask someone over here, and they'd say, oh no, those Christians are a bunch of weirdos, they're out of touch they they're just they're out there like they're they're just religious they're they're using it as a coping mechanism like they're just strange they're just completely clueless someone over here again would say no no Christians are loving they're forgiving they're they're generous and someone over here might say no 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 Christians are judgmental they're narrow minded they're legalistic and this person over here might say no no Christians are known for their love they're known for their compassion they're known for their faithfulness while another person would say, no, 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 they're known for what they're against. They can't even get along with one another. They don't even like each other on most days. You see, it really does depend on who you ask. I can remember being a, a younger person in middle school and high school. And, and like Pastor Todd talked about a few weeks ago, I, I was what you would have called a, more of a cultural Christian. Like I assumed that I was a Christian Christian. Because I was born in the South, I was born in West Texas, because my grandparents had gone to church, because my parents would take me to church every now and then, maybe close to Christmas and Easter. When I was 14, I started going to a youth group with a friend of mine, because his parents were dragging us to church every Sunday, because if I stayed the night with him, I knew I was going to church. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was kind of their one. They, were, they had adopted me into their family. They had brought me along. And so I want to challenge you parents, if you have kids that have friends, and their friends may be far from Christ or come from a, a broken home or a different situation, let them stay the night with you on Saturday night. Bring them to church. Bring them to the, the children's ministry. Bring them to the youth group, because it will make a difference in their lives. But I remember going through my teenage years and going, man, I, I go to youth group, check. I've gone on a couple mission trips, Check. I, I go to church every now and then. I listen to the songs every now and then. I do some of these things. And so I, I thought that almost by default, because I was doing a bunch of Christian things, that, yeah, I guess I'm good. I guess I'm a Christian. So as I got ready to head off into college, I, 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 I kind of had that mentality of, like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, go to, I, I believe in God. I've heard the stories about Jesus' birth and about his death and about his resurrection. Like, I'm good. Check, check, check. I could check all the boxes. I'd done some things that made me think I was better than I was. You tracking with me? And so here's what had happened to me. And I believe this is rampant across the country, but especially in the South, in the Bible Belt, is this reality of who I was and the way that I saw Christianity and viewed it. I had become inoculated to the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, During flu season, you get a flu shot, right? Right? And when you get a flu shot, they give you just enough of the actual virus to keep you from catching the real thing, don't they? You see, I had gone to church, I had heard some things, I had done some things, and so I would gotten just enough of it that it actually kept me from catching the real thing. I had become inoculated to the gospel. I had deceived myself. I thought I was better than I really was. I thought I was good when I was far from it. I thought I was found when I was still lost. I thought I was a Christian, and that was the furthest thing from the truth. You see, I thought I was a Christian until my sophomore year in college. And all of a sudden, this girl named Courtney Darter shows up onto my track and field team down at Southwest Texas State in San Marcos. I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. I kind of was just doing my thing, saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then I thought I was a Christian until I actually met one. This girl showed up, and she lived a life like I had never seen. I I mean, it was like she just kind of levitated and floated around. She was so full of joy. She was bubbling and full of life. She was living out the gospel, living out her faith out loud for all of us to see. She would invite me every single week to FCA. She would invite me to college worship night. She would invite me to church, and I would say no 90% of the time. And every now and then I would just say yes, so she would stop asking me. What I didn't know it at the time is that I was Courtney's one. And if it wasn't for her, I don't know where I'd be today. She was living out the gospel in front of me. And when I looked at her life compared to mine, there was a drastic difference. I went, wait a minute. She's a Christian. I don't know what I am. Because she's living it out. I see some things in her life, a lot of things in her life that are not in my life. There is a stark difference. There is a huge contrast here. There is a major difference between her and me. She didn't know, even after I graduated college, she didn't know that I'd ever accepted Christ. It took several years. It was probably ten years after college. I was preaching to my youth group in Florida and I talked about Courtney and shared about how this young lady lived her faith out and in front of me. And it was what led me to question my faith and start asking questions. And it was because of her that I eventually went, that's what I'm missing. So 10 years later, I shot her a message on Facebook and I said, I never took the time to say thank you. I never got the chance to tell you thank you for living out your faith in college, for me to watch and observe for those three and a half years that I was there at the same time as you. You're the reason I am who I am today. You're the reason I eventually became a Christian. And so we exchanged some great conversations and it's been cool because we still touch base from time to time. But as I think about me and as I think about Courtney and I think about how I was her one, I, I wonder, what does your one think about when they hear the word Christian, what do they think about what comes to their mind when they're around you? Have they seen anything in your life that makes them want to experience something different? Have they seen anything in you or experienced anything that has made them start to view Christianity differently? Listen, New Beginnings, the reality is this, is that Jesus never called people to be Christians. And here's what I mean. There's nothing wrong with that term. I use it all the time. I'm sure you use it all all the time. But it means different things to different people. Wouldn't we agree on that? You already heard some of those explanations. If you ask this person, you may get one answer. If you go over here and ask this person, it may be totally opposite thing that comes into their mind when they think about or hear about the word Christian. But the fact is, is that Jesus never called any of us to be Christians. In fact, that word, that phrase was used early on by pagans in Antioch to make fun of Christians. It was Christianus. And here's what it meant. It was a derogatory word. It was a word that they used to actually make fun of Christ followers. They would say, oh, here comes these little Christs, these little mini-me's, these little people who think they're little Christs walking around. And while those followers of Jesus would have taken that as a compliment back then, it was still used as a derogatory word to make fun of them. But when you think about it, Jesus never called or asked anyone To be a Christian. In his language, he asked them to be something else, something different. Jesus called people to be his disciples. In Matthew 9, chapter 9, verse 9, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. In Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, Jesus is walking around and he comes across this guy that's sitting in his tax collector's booth named Matthew. And as Jesus is walking along, he turns and he stops and he looks at Matthew. And here's what it says. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Notice that he didn't say, hey, Matthew, come and believe like I believe. But he said, follow me and be my disciple. Everybody say, be my disciple. Jesus said this to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Everybody say, followed him. Jesus didn't say, hey, Matthew, would you be a Christian? Hey, Matthew, would you believe like I believe? Would you go to church? Would you follow this set of rules? Instead, he said, would you be my disciple? I love this fact, the, the fact because Jesus sees Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth and he, and he calls him to come and follow him. The fact that he calls Matthew out of that situation to follow him says a lot. You see, I believe there's many times that we can read the word of God. And if it's a familiar passage of scripture, a story that we've heard before, that we just kind of go, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I've read that before. And we just kind of breeze, blow, blow through it, just breeze over it, just kind of w- skim past it. But th- when we look at these few verses, the fact that Jesus is walking along and that he takes the time to stop, turn, and look at Matthew in the situation he's in, you've got to understand the context and the situation of who Matthew is and what Matthew's done and why everyone would have looked at that and gone, that's strange. Why would he call this guy Matthew to follow him? You see, Matthew is a Jew. But he's, here he is as a tax collector, collecting money from all of his local people, from his Jewish people for Rome. He, he's taking their money, and he's taking any other amount that he wants above and beyond what he's been told to collect. So he's getting rich. He's fattening his pockets. And so, see, Matthew is viewed as a traitor. Matthew is known as a selfish, despised, crooked thief. And here this Jewish rabbi named Jesus is walking along and he stops and he notices Matthew and he says, hey, Matthew, I want you to walk away from that. I want you to come and I want you to follow me. This is just like Jesus, isn't it? He sees Matthew in all of his selfishness, in all of his rejection by the Jewish people, in his brokenness. He sees Matthew just like he sees all of us in our mess. And he notices us and he sees us just like he sees Matthew. I don't know what was going on in Matthew's heart and Matthew's mind that day, but I'm sure it was probably a lot like me at 23. I was lying in my apartment in San Marcos, Texas. I had been running from Jesus for most of my life. And I was lying there at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night saying, gosh, I wonder if there's any hope for someone like me. I wonder if there's any way I could ever get a second chance. I wonder if there's any way I could get a do-over. I don't understand how I got here. I don't know why I'm in the situation I'm in. It's probably because of a lot of selfish decisions. But man, I sure wish I could have a do-over. I sure wish someone would notice me and offer me a second chance. I wonder if there's any hope for someone like me. If only someone would come along. And at just the right time, Jesus steps in and makes an offer too good to refuse. He didn't ask Matthew, hey, Matthew, I want you to go and get your act together, clean up your life, go and refund all the money that you've stolen from your people, go and apologize for being a traitor and turning your back on your people. He doesn't say any of those things to Matthew. He meets Matthew in the middle of his desperation, in the middle of his situation. He says, Matthew, I'm giving you an invitation. I'm asking you to come and follow me, to walk away from that life that you've chosen for yourself and come and follow me because I've got a better life and better plans for you than you can ever imagine. And Matthew looks at that and says, I'll take that. I'll take that any day. I've been waiting for another chance to try to make things right. I've been hoping that someone would give me a do-over. I've been hoping that someone would come along and offer someone like me a second chance. You see that word disciple in its original language, this is the word "mathetes," And it meant to be a learner, a pupil, a disciple, a follower. So Jesus never came and said, hey, come be a Christian. What he said was this. He said, hey, come be my student, be a learner, be my disciple and follow me. In other words, what Jesus was saying is what I want you to do is I want you to live like I live. I want you to love like I love. I want you to do what I do. I want you to follow me and learn my ways. Come and walk step for step and learn the things that I do. Live the way that I live. Do the things that I do. I'm not just asking you to believe like I believe, but I'm asking you to live like I live. Let's go, Matthew. Let's do life together. Let's go and change the world. And that is exactly what they do. Matthew follows him. You see, Jesus wasn't inviting him to a belief system or to join an organization. He was inviting him to be a part of a movement. He asked Matthew to come along, to follow him. And when you do, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get to live like I lived. You're going to get to love like I loved. You're going to get to do what I do because you're not joining a church. You're joining a movement. You're going to follow me as my disciple. In week one of this series, Who's Your One? Connor stood up here and he talked to you guys about the Great Commission. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says a couple things. Pretty plain and simple. Let me put it to you like this. He says, go and make disciples. You see, Jesus gave a command to go and a mission to make disciples. That was for those guys back then, those 11 and many others that were gathered around that day before Jesus went to heaven. Those were the marching orders He gave them and they followed and did what He asked them to do. And that's why we're sitting here today is because 11 men obeyed Jesus they did what he asked them to do they began to live like he lived they began to love like he loved they began to do the things that he did and eventually over time it began to have a ripple effect and it began to move beyond Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and now it has reached us and we are the ends of the earth if you don't know that today church family you are sitting here because 11 men heard the word of God they obeyed the word of God they did what he asked them to do and they went out And they did exactly that without modern technology, without airplanes, without any of those things. And I'm sure at first it was overwhelming to them sitting there going, wait a minute, what's he talking about? He said to the ends of the earth, we've never left more than 100 miles from where we live. And he's asking us to do the impossible. But the word of God says what is impossible for man is what? Possible with God. These men believed And they took action. And they began to do the things that Jesus had called them to do. And that is the same command for us today. Is that we would go and that we would make disciples. But check this out, New Beginnings. In order for us to go and make disciples, we actually have to be one. That's a little bit hard, isn't it? It kind of stings a little bit. You see, you can't go and make and manufacture something that you're not if we're going to go and reach the one we actually have to be one we actually have to be a disciple if we're going to go and make disciples you see church I believe that when you know who you are you'll know exactly what to do let me say that again if you're taking notes when you know who you are you'll know what to do And for those of you that you've met Christ, you've been transformed by Christ, you've been forgiven, your old life is gone, you've walked away from it, you're walking now in this new life that has come to you because of Jesus, that you're filled with the Spirit of God, that you're an ambassador, that you are a masterpiece, that you're an overcomer, that you are the salt and light of the world, then I want you to write these things down. Let me tell you who you are, because when you know who you are, you'll know exactly what to do. You are a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I am a disciple. You see, a disciple lives like Jesus lived. They love like Jesus loved. They do what Jesus did. And the reason we do those things is because we are not our own. We are bought with the price. We are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am his disciple When you know who you are, you'll know exactly what to do. And I've got great news for you New Beginnings. You are disciples. So let me me explain some things to you because it seems like there's so much confusion around this word disciple. It gets thrown around in church world especially all of the time. I've been at churches before where I've had people look at me and they say, "Uh, we don't really use that word anymore. What? Are you kidding me? people don't know what it is, they don't know how to do that, and I'm saying, wait a minute, hold on, we better know what that is, and we better know what to do, because that is the command of Jesus. He has called us to be disciples, and then he has commanded us to go and make disciples, and so we need to understand what it is, and what it means to be a disciple. We need to understand what it looks like to be a disciple if we're going to go and make disciples. You see, a lot of times pastors and church people are looking around for a special six week program or a new study or another thing that they can do to make more disciples. And if they'll just do these things and follow these steps, it will be just this assembly line and it'll start spitting out disciples. And that's not the way it works. So let me give you a couple of really simple things this morning that I think will help us understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple so that we can go and reach our one, so that we can go and make more disciples. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, the first thing that we should be doing is this. Number one, if you find a need, meet it. Did you catch that? It's real hard. Let me say that one more time. If you find a need, meet it. Jesus told a story of a guy. It's in a story called the Good Samaritan. He told a a story of a guy that had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And it says that a a priest walked by and he saw the need, but he passed by on the other side. It says then a, a Levite, a church worker in other words, comes by down the same road. He sees the man lying there bleeding, left for dead, and he sees the need, but he walks by on the other side. And then it says that a Samaritan this person the least likely person in this story that should see the need and meet it in their culture walks by and let's pick up the story there it's in Luke chapter 10 verse 33 it says but a samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and he saw him and what happened it says that he took pity on him he went to him he bandaged his wounds pouring oil and wine on them Then he put him in his F-150 and took him to the Holiday Inn to take care of him. (laughs) And then the next day, he took out his Visa card, trying to get them frequent flyer miles. And he said, hey, let me pay for this guy, and and I'm going to come back. And anything that I owe you, I'll cover the tab when I come back for this guy. Look after him while I'm gone. I'll pay the bill. And Jesus said this. He said these words. Go and do likewise. Can you say that with me? Go and do likewise. Let's say it again like we actually mean it. Go and do likewise. You see, you and I, we are disciples, and as disciples, we are going to go and do likewise. We're going to love how Jesus loved. We're going to do what Jesus did, and we're going to live like Jesus lived, but we're going to find some needs, and we're going to meet them i got to be real with you for just a moment, New Beginnings. I'm a disciple, but there are days that I get this wrong. There are some days I get it right, but man, there are a lot of days that I get it wrong. Let me give you a couple of examples, and maybe you'll be able to relate to this. There will be days that maybe I'm in a rush, trying to get to another appointment, or I've got, I'm overbooked, or overscheduled, or whatever it may be, and I may see... A homeless person on the side of the road holding up a sign saying, hey, need help. Hungry. Kids need some food. Any anyone help me? And I, I see it and I drive on by on the other side of the road. Just pass them by. There's times that I may be in the grocery store parking lot and I see an elderly couple struggling to get their groceries in the car. And because I'm so busy and trying to get to the next thing and so consumed with my own little world and my own little needs that I see the need and I ignore it. Can any of you relate to that or am I all alone up here? There's times that I see the needs and I know I should be doing something about them, but yet I just pass on by. And I, 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 I act like I don't see them. I ignore them. You see whether it's the priest in the story or the Levite or me, I don't think it's because we're bad people. I think it's because we're busy people. I think we're so busy, we're so consumed with our own little world, we're running at such a fast pace that we, we we just blow on by. And Jesus in the Word of God would tell us to slow down, to be still, to take notice, to look at those around you that are hurting and the, those that are in a, a desperate situation and actually... Help them out. There was a, an experiment done with some, co- some seminary students that were in college. And the professor had asked them to preach a little mini sermon or a little mini message on the Good Samaritan, the story that we just read. And so he looked at him and he said, hey, I want you guys real quickly on the spot to go from the classroom to the lecture hall just across campus. And he said, but here's the kicker. You got five minutes to get from here to there. And I want you just to give us a quick two minute message on the Good Samaritan. So what they didn't know is that the professor had taken another student and dressed them up as a homeless person and put them in the sidewalk, lying there, crying, acting as though they were hurt. And all of these students ran out of class, running to the lecture hall to go give their little message, their little sermon on the Good Samaritan. And most of them, as they ran to the lecture hall, stepped right over the hurt, crying, homeless person on the sidewalk. Not many of them stopped. In fact, the, the story goes that, that it says that only one out of ten actually stopped, actually saw the need and was willing to meet it. How often do we do the same thing? In our busy lives, you've already heard me confess some of my uh, failed opportunities. But you see, I believe that in our busyness, New beginnings. We see the people that God places in our paths as interruptions instead of invitations. I don't know if you heard that this morning, but let me say that one more time. So often, new beginnings, God places people in our path And those people in our path are actually an invitation to be used by God, to be his hands and feet, to see a need and meet it. But instead of us as the disciples of Christ, seeing those people as an invitation, we see it as an interruption to our busy little lives. We're saying, not today. I don't have time for this. I'll do that maybe some other day. Maybe I'll give a little extra this week to make up for that one. I'm too busy, I'm going to do my thing, i got stuff to do, places to go, people to see, I, but I don't see that one. And we see the people that God places in our path as merely an inconvenience, as an interruption instead of an invitation. And as disciples, we should see this as an invitation to do what Jesus did and to meet their needs. Jesus wasn't always casting out demons and raising the dead, although he did do that quite a bit, but he was always meeting the needs of people. There's different times in the scripture where we see Jesus and his disciples, they're getting ready to share a meal together, and uh, true to their custom, he noticed that the disciples had not had their feet washed yet. And in that moment, Jesus, instead of going, well, someone else will do it, stands up grabs a towel, grabs a bucket of water, and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' dirty feet. He saw their need and he did something about it. There's another instance where Jesus has been out and he's preaching to these thousands of people and it's the end of the day and they've all been out there for a long time and he sees that the people are tired and that they're hungry. And instead of sending him off and saying, hey, go find you a McDonald's or go find you a Chick-fil-A, get you some Jesus chicken on your own, Instead of sending them off on their own, He says, no, listen, I'm going to feed them. Gather the people. Bring them in. They're hungry. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to feed them. There's another instance where Jesus is teaching and talking, and these little kids are lonely, and they're wanting to play, and they come rushing into Jesus, wanting to just play and have a good time, and the disciples rebuke them and try to send them on their their way, and Jesus stops, and He rebukes the disciples, and He says, no, no, no. Let the children come to Me. I want to play with them. I want to meet their needs. I want to serve these kids. I want to have some fun. I want to experience some joy and some laughter. You see, Jesus modeled it for us. When you see a need, you meet it. You just do what he did. It's like follow the leader, right? We learned that when we were a little bitty kids. Follow the leader and if the leader of your life is jesus you should be living like he lived you should be doing what he did you should be following in his footsteps as disciples and doing the things that jesus did man i've got to tell you new beginnings that you guys are a church full of amazing disciples that you're meeting the needs of this community the communities around you and around the world honestly I mean, that's the thing that has been so attractive to me and to my wife, Lauren, and to our boys. is we the, From the first moment that I came here, is I experienced just you guys. I got to meet some amazing people, and, and it was just very, very attractive to me. I saw a group of people that were living out what they believed, that were doing whatever it took to reach those around them. And that is what has drawn us to you guys. Not the buildings as great as they are, Not the location as beautiful as it is, but you guys, the people of God, doing the things that God has called them to do, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Henry Blackaby, in his book Experiencing God, he has a a famous statement. It says, Hey, see where God is at work and then jump in, get involved. Find where God is at work and get involved in that situation. That is what we have seen at New Beginnings. We have seen and we have heard where, that God is at work in New Beginnings, whether that's right here in Spring Hill, whether that's in Gilmer, or whether that's in Africa, or whether that's down in South America, or D.C., or Las Vegas, or San Antonio. On all of the ways that, that, that New Beginnings is reaching out, we saw God at work at New Beginnings and we said, we want to be a part of that. We see God at work and we're jumping into that because we can't refuse. We want to be a part of a great move of God. And I believe that God is moving in some mighty ways here at New Beginning. So I want to encourage you guys this morning. Keep serving. Keep meeting needs. Keep loving. Keep living. Keep doing the things that Jesus did. Because when you meet a need, you will be blessed. Blessed. In Matthew 10, 42, it says this says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So keep meeting needs and you will be blessed. And I believe you guys are blessed beyond measure. I believe this is a church that is experiencing the blessings of God because of your obedience in doing the things that He has called you to do. You have an incredible staff that loves the Lord and that loves you guys with all of their hearts that want to equip and empower you to be the disciples that God has called you to be so that you will reach the people that they cannot reach, but you will reach the one that you are supposed to reach and that only you can reach. And so we're excited to be a part of that. The next thing is this. This is another thing that disciples do. As a disciple, we are going to find a hurt and we are going to heal it. That's Write that down. We're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. Matthew 9.35 says it this way. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reporting kingdom news and healed their diseased bodies. And he healed their, say it with me, he healed their bruised and hurt lives. You see, Jesus wasn't always going around just healing physical diseases like leprosy and all of these other ailments. While He did do that a lot, He also healed their bruised and broken lives. If you remember, there's a woman who's been caught in the the act of adultery by these religious leaders. They caught her red-handed. They caught her in that situation and they probably grabbed her by the hair of her head and drug her out into the street and they threw her at the feet of Jesus and they stood over her with stones clenched in their hands in judgment ready to kill her. And in that moment, Jesus enters into her hurt. He enters into her situation and instead of standing over her in judgment like everyone else, he gets down on her level and he looks her in the eye and he talks to her for a moment and he starts riding in the sand and he tells all of those guys, all of those accusers around her, he says, Hey, any of you without sin cast the first stone. And then he stays down next to her on her level and he waits for all of them to walk away. And he gets her up and he looks at her and he says, Where are your accusers? She says, They're gone. And he says, I don't accuse you either. You're forgiven, you're free go Jesus healed her he entered into her pain he entered into her hurt and he healed her and he restored her and he sent her on her way there's another story in the Bible where Matt, where uh, Peter is hanging out with Jesus and if you know anything about Peter Peter's kind of the the guy that's uh, I call him in open mouth insert foot he, he's a lot like me at times but he's one of the closest friends of Jesus and towards the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus knows what's before him, he knows he's going to the cross, he looks at Peter and there he's trying to explain to him what's about to happen. And Peter's like, No, 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 I'll never deny you. I'll die before that happens. And Jesus says, Oh, yeah, you'll deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. Peter says, No way. And Jesus says, Yes way. And then he does it. Jesus goes and he's arrested, he's beaten, he's crucified, he's, he's dead, he's buried, and then he eventually walks out of the grave. And he finds Peter on this, doing the only thing that Peter knew to do, and that's Peter went back to fishing. And Jesus finds Peter in all of his rejection, in all of his brokenness, in all of his depression and despair, and he cooks breakfast for him. And he calls Peter over away from the rest of the guys and he has a conversation with him, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, no, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. Of course I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter sits there, and he says, Lord, you know all things. Of course you know that I love you. And he says, take care of my lambs. And in that conversation, when Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, I told you you were going to blow it, and you blew it. I knew you were going to do it, and you did it. I don't know what good you are. He didn't say any of those things to Peter. But instead, he enters into Peter's depression. He enters into Peter's despair. He meets him in the middle of his hurt and in the middle of his pain, and he calls Peter up out of that. And he encourages Peter, and he says, Peter, I love you. I believe in you. I know you can do this. I forgive you. Don't be so hard on yourself. Now get back up and keep going. And Peter does. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. You may be sitting there today asking yourself, how can I heal anyone's hurts? You may not be able to physically heal someone, but here are some ways that you can help with the healing process. You can listen to them. You can spend time with them. You can sacrifice of your own time to go and visit them when they are sick or when they are hurting. You can be a shoulder to cry on. You can pray for them. You can accept those who are rejected. You can be a friend to someone. You can do life with these people. I can't tell you how much the church, the bride of Christ, has helped me and my family in our hurts. In our difficult days, a few years ago, we lost my father-in-law, who was more of a father figure and and a mentor and a close friend of mine. I worked with him every day for seven years. And at 63, we lost him on a day on an ordinary Thursday. We thought we were going to go watch a soccer game and he was going to get to be there that afternoon. And instead, we're sitting in the ER and we're having to sit there and wrestle with the fact that the man that we loved and the man that was uh, just had always been there now is no longer there. And in those moments, the church, the disciples of Jesus, they came around us and they they were shoulders to cry on. They listened. They walked with us. They picked us up and wrapped their arms around us when we couldn't stand on our own. And the only way we continued moving and marching and moving on was because the disciples of Jesus that were around us loved us through it. They helped heal our hurts. They stepped into the middle of those situations of that situation, those dark days, and they loved us through it. John 13 says it this way, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see, so as disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a need, and we're going to meet it. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a hurt, and we're going to heal it. And as disciples of Jesus, you ready for this last point? This is a big one. As disciples of Jesus... We are going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks us to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a page. That's called covering your bases. Let me say that one more time because that's a mouthful. As disciples of Jesus, we are going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks us to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a page. You see, as disciples of Jesus, we're going to love like Jesus loved. We're going to do what Jesus did. And we're going to live like he lived. John 10, 27 says this. It says, my sheep, they listen to my voice. Say it again. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And as disciples, we are going to listen to the voice of God and as He leads us and directs our lives. You see, when you look at all the different stories of the disciples, when Jesus called them, they had a decision to make. When Jesus called them, they listened, and it says that they left their old lives behind, and they followed Him. Did you catch that? They listened, and they followed Him. You see, they weren't sure about everything. They didn't know how all this was going to play out. They didn't know everything that they believed yet. But they knew that Jesus had called them, and so they were willing to walk away from their old lives and step into a new life that Jesus was calling them to. They were willing to do whatever it takes. And listen, New Beginnings, I be, here's the thing I know is that salvation is a gift from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you or I could ever do to earn that. It was given freely to us by the immeasurable goodness and grace of our Father in heaven. He saw our desperation, He saw our needs, He saw our brokenness, He knew that we could never be good enough, that we could never save ourselves, and so He sent His one and only perfect Son, that He would rescue us from our sins, that He would rescue us from our old and dead lives, and give us a brand new life. That is a free gift of God, but being a disciple will cost you something. Did you hear that this morning? Being a disciple will cost you something. The disciples heard the voice of God. They saw what he was calling them to. And they were willing to walk away from their old, sinful, dead lives and step into a newness of life. And every step in the beginning felt like death because it was. They were walking away from the dead old life and they were stepping into a new life that Jesus was calling them into. They had to walk away from some old habits. They had to walk away from some old friends. They had to walk away from those things and embrace the life that Jesus was calling them into. And we have to do the same. The call of those disciples is still the same call for us today. Is that we would follow him. That we would walk away from our old lives that we would step into a new life each and every day that we would live like he lived that we would love like he loves that we would do what he does and that we would be disciples of Jesus Christ so that our one would see Christ in us and it would be so attractive to them that they would go I don't know what it is that you've got but I want what you have just like I did in college that I looked at Courtney and I went I said I'm a Christian but I'm really a cultural Christian and here's what that means it says I believe in God but I live as though he doesn't exist and in that moment I looked at Courtney and I realized I don't have what she has I have never walked away from my old life. In fact, I've continued to live in it and just make up excuses and say that I'm really a Christian when I'm not. If you're going to be a disciple and make disciples, you have to be willing to walk away from some stuff and fix your eyes on Jesus, the only one who will give you new life. And I believe if you and I will do the things that He calls us to do, if we'll live the life He's called us to live, if we'll love people the way that He calls us to love them, if we'll see needs and actually stop and meet it, and not see them as an interruption, but as an invitation, if we'll be the hands and feet of Jesus, our one will start to come to know who Jesus is, and they will want what we have because it's so attractive to them. It's something that the world has never seen. And we will be a part of the ends of the earth. We will be a part of the mission that started with 11 guys that changed the world. And we will continue to change the world one person at a time. Is anybody with me in this house today? I need to know you're here. Jesus Christ is the only one who can change us. And when He changes us and we truly follow Him, we will be the one that reaches the one. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that when we were lost and broken and without hope, that at just the right time you sent your one and only Son to live a life that we could never live and to die a death on a cross in our place. God, that is amazing grace. God, I pray for my friends in this room, those watching online, that maybe they're where I was at at 23. Maybe they they just think that they are a Christ follower by default. Maybe they think because they've done enough good things that they come to church every now and then, because they go on a mission trip, trip from time to time, or because they they give of their tithes and offerings. Maybe they think that they can check off all those things and that those things make them a Christian. God, if there's anyone in this room or under the sound of my voice or watching online that is wrestling with that, God, I pray that they would begin to ask themselves those questions. Is Am I a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Or have I been deceiving myself? Have I been playing a game? Have I become inoculated to the gospel? Have I thought that I was better than I am and I'm really lost. God, I pray if there's anyone in this place today that does not know You, that has not chosen You and chosen to follow after You, that is not Your disciple, God, I pray today would be the day that they would leave it all behind, that they would step away from their old and dead life and step into a new life that is only offered through Your Son. Father, I pray for my friends as well that are in here that have been just kind of Wondering, what does it really mean to be a disciple? That today would be the day, with laser focus, that they would know the cost and count the cost, and that they would still choose to follow you. That they would see the needs and meet it. That they would see a hurt and heal it. And that they would do everything that you're calling them to do on a daily basis. Father, may we live for the one, your Son, so that our one around us might see him in us and experience your grace and your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.